Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. You cannot be saved and not believe that the whole gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. That's all part of the gospel. And so someone that would say, well, you have a hard time believing that somebody rose from the grave. You need to check that out. You need to pray about that. That's a part of the gospel. That's what he did. That's how come believers don't fear death, right? Because he has power over death. He demonstrated he rose and so will we. Death didn't hold him, neither will it hold you. So the believer didn't have to be terrified of death. The resurrection of Jesus was a powerful depiction of grace, love, and hope. In today's message, Pastor Bill will challenge you and your faith. For you cannot be truly saved if you don't believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. His resurrection was more than just a historical event. His resurrection was and is the gospel. The good news that believers no longer have to fear death, for Jesus defeated it. Death didn't hold Jesus and neither will it hold you. If you believe in him who died and rose again. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. People that have been part of different lifestyles, drug cartels, so forth and so on, when faced with enough years, with enough, when they got shown, this is what it's going to cost you to be quiet. They're not dealing with life sentences like you're going to die for it. You're going to just be in jail for it. And you watch how these guys like, I'll cooperate. And, and literally, they got the courtroom. You got 20 guys in orange suits that are part of the group. And you got one guy saying, testifying, telling, I'm telling everything. He was there with me at this era. It was, we did three keys together, back and forth to Flint, Michigan. I watched this. And then that guy right there, we were friends from this long. And then I met him over here. His wife got me started. And then that guy right there, he just started giving it up. Bam, bam, bam. And for him, it, it was to get a reduced sentence. And I'm saying if human beings would do that over some jail time, these guys are not dying over something that did not happen. Jesus died and he was buried and he rose from the grave, you guys. He came back from the grave and it was a purpose for that. So all these people that he's being seen by, it's, it's purposeful. He's showing himself for a reason. And so he was seen by James then by all the other apostles. Why? Because they were going to be the ones that needed to carry the message. They needed to be impacted. They needed to see him risen. As you go back, and we don't have time to do it in this particular study, but if you go back and look at the interactions that he had in his risen body, look at what he was doing. He was encouraging. He restoring Peter. But many times the message was go. In Mark's gospel, go. In Matthew's gospel, we call it the Great Commission, go. In Acts 1-8 was the only time he said, okay, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit because you can't go without that. You need power before you go. And so wait here in Jerusalem until you get the power. But after you get it, then go. Then you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The goal, the message was go from the resurrected Christ. He came back and the last thing he was saying before he ascended back into heaven was go, go, go. Why is that important? Because present day Christianity doesn't look like that. People get saved. There are people that have been in church their whole life. They don't go anywhere. When the Bible says go, what does it mean? It's going, sharing the gospel. It might mean going down the hallway in your house and talking to some folk about the gospel. It might mean going through your apartment complex, going down your block. It might mean going to the person next to you in the cubicle at work. It might mean going across the world, but it's going. They were going and sharing. that Everywhere they went, they were sharing the gospel. Are we sharing the gospel? Are we so impacted by the message of the gospel that we can't contain it? That we look at other people and feel like, man, you just need to know this message. What's wrong with you is that you need this message. Um, I think that's what God would have us do. You know what that would kill? 
that would kill the, because this is what happens in typical Christian circles. Christians, we get saved, we come to church, we deal with each other. We believe the same stuff, we agree with the same stuff. Then we start looking at the world and being like, they're icky. Oh, that's, that's some nasty. Look at, they're nasty over there. Oh, I can't believe they do that. And we become this group of really holy people. Like the Pharisees and the tribe, looking at them, I can't believe they do that. When y'all used to do it too. I Seeing people, I, I can't believe she would dress like that. How you used to dress when you didn't know the Lord and you were trying to catch? I can't believe he treated his wife. How did you treat women before you knew the Lord? You know, we start looking out and we become judgmental instead of looking out saying, man, they need Jesus. Right. The more junk someone shows you, what they're showing you is I don't know him yet. And you know him. You're supposed to go tell. You're supposed to be the one going to tell him. But instead, you're looking like I can't believe they're living like that, making all that noise, messing up our neighborhood, ruining our, you know, taking away my peace or whatever. And God's like, but I told you all to go. I want you to go. And as you look at the example of Jesus, he went. And where did he go? He went to the grimiest people. He went to the groups that were cast down and not really revered in his time, but they needed him. He went to them. And I'm encouraging us as a church that we would be minded to go. If you've received this message, if you believe that because God loved you, that Jesus died for you, was buried for you, rose again from the grave for you as a precursor to what would happen in your life, then would you go with the message? Would you go share it with somebody? Would you go tell it to people? Could we make sure that we don't become that group of stuck up, spiritual, funky people that are looking out at the world? Because you know what the world does when they they can feel that. They can feel, oh, you, oh, you, you, y'all, you know, they'll say something like, oh, you too good to, you can't talk to me. You know, I might can't go to your function, but I can talk to you. You know, I might can't be, don't, please don't, don't post the picture of me at that. You know, please, you know, there's some places I won't go, some things I won't attach myself to, but I can talk to you. I could come and spend some time. I can come and share a message. I could come and, you know, love on some folks or whatever. That's our job. That's our agenda. That's what we want to do. And so let's be minded to go, right? Jesus, I mean, to me, when I look, if you're going to raise from the dead uh, and come back and have a few more messages, I, I mean, those are probably pretty important, man, because you could have just stayed dead. If you're going to get up out the grave and come back and say something, I want to tune in. Amen. We want to, I want to hear the messages and say, man, that must be really important to the Lord to come back from the dead and tell us again that that's what he wants us to be about. So he said, go. He said it three times at least. Then we need to be going. And so um, let's go. So moving on. <laughs> so then verse uh, eight, it says, Paul said in verse eight, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Now, Paul's interaction with the risen Christ was unique. All the other apostles had actually walked with Jesus for three years. They had three years of learning and listening and ministry with Jesus on earth, three years of earthly ministry. And then he died and, and they witnessed it. And he rose in the grave. Paul was, while all that was going on, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was persecuting the church. Paul was responsible for the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. They threw their clothes, it says, at the feet of one named Saul. He was there, you know, basically saying, yes, you know, giving the thumbs down, like, go ahead and throw the stones. That was Paul's life. He was actively persecuting the church when the Lord met him. He was on the way. He had letters of permission on his way to on the Damascus road, going to jail and prison more believers. And it was there that it says the Lord met him. And interesting because he met the risen Lord. Christ in his resurrected form came to Saul on the Damascus road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right, because you're persecuting my church, but that's my body. And so when you persecute them, you persecute me. Why are you persecuting me? Isn't it hard to kick against the goals? Isn't this difficult what you're doing? And he shared with Paul. Paul received a message directly from Jesus himself. 
He spent three years in Arabia in the desert where we believe he received all the other instruction directly from the Lord. And that's why Paul, many times as he would go around sharing that he was in a place, look, I didn't receive it from man. I got it straight from the Lord. Right. So the stuff I'm saying, don't question it. Don't come against it. This ain't come three tiers down from three different men along the way. I got this direct connect. Jesus came to me, told me, and I'm telling you what Jesus said, receive that. And so Paul's apostleship was unique. When Paul says, as one born out of due time, that phrase, that Greek word, it's like a person having a miscarriage, a baby that was born not at the right time. Paul's recognizing, I didn't get that normal three-year gestation period that the other disciples got. I was born in a different way, but nonetheless, I've been made an apostle. And so he came to me as one born out of due time. And then look at verse 9. Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. I don't want to skip over this. I thought it was important. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. That's how he sees himself, right? Is this a low self-esteem? It's not. As you follow Paul's life, you'll find that if you think it's self-esteem, you'll feel like Paul's self-esteem getting lower and lower the longer he walked. But that's not what it is. If you're writing notes, write down these three places in the word. Right here in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Then over in Ephesians 3, 8, which is later on, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. He says, I'm less than the least of all the saints. That's in Ephesians 3, 8. I'm not the least of all the saints. I'm less than the least of all the saints. Then at the very end of his life in 1 Timothy, when he's in prison for preaching the gospel, closer to the end of his life, it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Here's the deal, right? The closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you become. I don't believe Paul was failing in his relationship with the Lord. I don't think Paul was sinning more in 1 Timothy 1.15, while he's in prison for preaching the gospel and writing letters to encourage young Timothy, the protege, to raise up. You know, I don't believe that. I believe that what happens is the closer you get to the Lord, the more aware you become that I'm not all that. That's why when you find someone that's full of pride, it's an evidence that they haven't been with Jesus. That they don't have a real revelation of who Christ is. You cannot have a revelation of who Christ is and be proud and arrogant. The closer you get to him, the more of himself he reveals to you, the more you'll just be broken, humbled, thankful that you even get to be a part of the program. You just be humble, right? I don't deserve it. It's just grace. And you won't say that in a fake, false, pharisaical humor. It's just the Lord. Oh, no, it's not me. It's God. Some people be saying that. They don't believe it. I'm saying it'll be for real. When you spend time in his presence, you get close to him. You see him for what he is. And you'll see yourself in light of him. You'll see how much work needs to be done, how, far, how short you fall compared to him. And you'll just, man, God, thank you. You're so gracious. Thank you that you're good to me anyway. Thank you that you love me anyway. Thank you that you receive me anyway. And I, I don't need to be the greatest, right? What were the disciples always arguing about when they were walking? Who, who, who's going to be the greatest, right? Well, look at a man who's seen him, had a revelation of him. And he says, man, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of the least of the saints. And I'm the chief of sinners. I am not a big shot. And it's interesting because when I look at Paul the Apostle, he was, to me, a big shot. I don't know that there's a bigger deal. You come after Jesus, I don't think anybody else did more in the New Testament. I can't look at anybody else that I would look at and be like, man, they went hard. That's Paul the Apostle. But Paul said, I'm nothing. Least of the least of the saints. I am not better than you. I believe that when we get close to the Lord, we will walk like that. And that's the result. So if you struggle with pride, 
Spend some time with the Lord. Get a real revelation of who he is. Spend time in the word every day. And one thing you get in the word every day, you'll realize that if you read the word every day, I promise you, no matter how well you're doing, you'll see some stuff that needs work. You shut this book and start walking. This is what happens. You'll compare this you with the old you. We all can be guilty of that. And most of us that have been transformed, this me looks better than the old me by far. So I look back at the old me. I'm like, man, that guy, he was, he, I mean, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. And so I'm good. I'm compared to him. I'm great. I haven't smacked nobody in years. I haven't been drunk. I ain't robbed nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. But let me read my Bible and let me measure myself by him. I still fall miserably short. I'm not what I was, but I'm, I'm definitely not done yet. And that's why, you know, I press you guys. I'll be on you guys, man. Read your Bible. Do the Bible reading. Be in your word. Make it a habit of life. Um, it keeps you close. Keeps your mind in the right place. Keeps you where you need to be with Jesus. So moving on, Paul says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So it almost sounds like Paul was like, man, he feels bad about what he was, right? Paul's testimony about what he was, it's not like people's testimony today. You hear some people share their testimony today. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to be, I be from this neighborhood over here, man. We used to through, just killing people, man. But, but then I met the Lord, you know, so, whoo, you know, but, you know, they, you can hear an excitement about what they were. I hear Paul saying, man, I, man, I, I feel bad about that. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I used to persecute the church. Ugh, I hate to even say it, but I did it. That's how I hear Paul. I hear a, a disdain for the old life um, as he's walking in the new life. Be careful about being proud of what you were outside of the Lord. Happens sometimes. Some Christians, they, you walk in real soft in your walk with the Lord. And so some of your best things were when you weren't with the Lord. You know why? Because you went hard when you weren't with the Lord. But some people went hard in the world and they go soft in the Lord. And so it's like, yeah, I remember I was really the last time I could really remember being anything great or achieving or doing great was back then. We'll start walking with the Lord. Like you give the energy and the passion that you gave to that to the Lord, and you'll find that God will make something great out of you. He needs some people. He's looking for some people. God take the weakest one of us, and he'll confound the world. It really doesn't have to be anything great about you when you bring it to the Lord. When you bring you just got to come surrender. God, just take what I am. He's looking for surrendered, sold-out people. That's the wonderful thing about Jesus. It's not like in the world. In the world, you got to have some stuff. You got to have some gifts and some abilities and some... You got to come with something. But to the Lord, you just got to come with who you are. He'll make something great out. He made you with a purpose. And he'll use you for that purpose. You just got to come with what you are. And I invite everybody here, me too, that we would all just come to him with everything that we are and just say, God, use me. Have your way in this life. You deserve it. You paid for it with your blood. Have it. Have the rest of these days and do what you want with them. Amen. And so moving on now, the verse 10, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that's how any of us, we could all say the same thing. Maybe God is doing something great in your life. It's by the grace of God. Somebody, you know, celebrates what you're doing. You know, man, it's the grace of God in our lives. I'm hoping that we can believe that in reality, not in just some pharisaical. Yeah, you know, it's just God's grace. But in reality, man, anything that you have and are, I am what I am by the grace of God. What is grace is God's unmerited, his undeserved goodness and favor towards us. And it isn't that we've earned it or worked for it. How many of you guys here know that you received things from the Lord that no credit? God just was good to you just because. I think, amen, I, this is in my life, I'll testify. I believe in my life there have been times where I think God did it on purpose this way. I could think of few times in my life where God did something exceptionally gracious in my life. At a moment when I was very clear that I was undeserving of it. It wasn't like I was doing great and then God said, I'm going to bless you with that blessing now. 
Because you know what I would have been like, well, it's because I was walking right, then God blessed me. So I, I guess if I just walk right, he'll bless me some more. But I feel like at a couple times in my life, God just picked a moment. Because God's blessed me when I've been doing well, too. But there have been a couple few times in my life where I, at that moment, I know I'm messing up in this area of my walk. I'm, not, I'm messing up. I'm sinning. I'm blowing it in this area. And then at that moment right there in that time, that's when God says, I'm going to do this thing. And it wasn't to encourage me to keep sinning because you know what the response, what happened in my heart was there was a brokenness over my sin. There was a recognition, a, a realization in my heart that, man, God's just so good. There was a brokenness. Hmm. Yeah. So I can think of a, a couple of different instances anyway where I'm just very aware that it's not me. And I hope that we're all aware it's not us, but it's grace. And grace is getting which you don't deserve. But this is how grace works. Grace doesn't make you sin more. Some people think you can't tell people it's grace and then they'll just feel like they can do whatever. No, grace have you so broken. When you understand grace, there's something that melts me, breaks me, is how much I understand I'm not worthy and don't deserve anything. From the very beginning. I mean, I can look back to the very beginning of my walk with the Lord. I can look at the beginning of giftings in God and just at every point just say, don't deserve anything. God has just been good and good and good. And so a lot of my life is in response. God, because you're so good, I do surrender. Because you're good to me when I don't deserve it, I repent. I submit. I surrender. I lay it down. I lay down my rights. I die to that easily. I, I, I'm no longer fighting for all my, well, I should be able, nothing, nothing. Because you're so good, grace. And so I look at Paul again. He's one of my heroes. I believe he was a guy that got that. He understood it was grace. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And though he were great in my mind, in my eyes, he recognized it was not me. It was the grace of God. Last part of verse 10, he says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. God didn't waste it. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Notice that grace didn't make Paul lazy. It didn't make Paul a passive saint. Grace didn't make Paul be a, well, since God's going to give me what I don't deserve, I'm going to just kick back and kick not deservingly give me some more. Grace motivated Paul. Paul said, I labored more than everybody else. Why did I labor like that? Because of God's grace towards me. Grace motivated him, right? The Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. And sometimes and then grace is part of the goodness of God. Paul said, man, it was because of God's grace, right? I wasn't working for salvation. I was already saved. I was already born again. And maybe Paul would think back, I was on my way to kill Christians. And instead of killing me, God met me and saved me. That probably, that probably broke him every time he thought about it. I was on my way to kill Christians when God came and rescued me. I was, I was on my way. I was in sin. I was going to do more sin. It was in, I was in that direction with papers, on my way, with the, you know, with the people and everything else. God met me right there. And so sometimes it's a healthy thing to look back at how God apprehended your heart. Where were you? What were you doing? What were you into? How were your eyes open? What was God's grace towards you? For some of you, God's grace in your life was that he gave you parents that knew the Lord and they set the roadmap for you. And even when you got off, you knew how to get, you knew where to go back when it was time. Some of you, that was God's grace in your life to give you some parents that were faithful and they left a roadmap. That wasn't my testimony. Neither one of my parents were Christians. Neither one of my parents laid that roadmap for me. And so for me, what God did in my life was reveal himself to me. God used people. Um, he used a couple people, but in particular, he used one guy in my apartment building over and over again with the gospel. But he used people in my life that were faithful to speak the word of God and share the gospel and open my eyes. And again, when I look at where God met me, and you guys have heard my testimony. 
I was living in an apartment with a girl that wasn't my wife. I was in habitual sexual sin. I was drunk every day. I sold weed and did credit card scams. Nothing about my life said I was looking for God. But God came looking for me right there in my mess. And I was miserable in all my sin. And God came and met me there. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't going to church trying to discover God. But he met me. I praise God for that. I really do praise God that he, that was, that's grace. I didn't deserve it. It was nothing I was doing said I deserve God's goodness in my life right now. But he did it anyway. And everybody here has their own story. And it's got to be a story of grace. right? There's some story of grace that every one of us has. How God apprehended you. How we got a hold of you. How he came after us. How he pursued us. How when we turned to him, he received us. That's grace. Right? There was nothing great about us when we said, okay, God, I want you. You know, if, if we were to put that in flesh terms and we, you know, we turn with all kind of junk and nasty, here, I want you. And he said, okay, I, I, I've been wanting you. I'll take you. I'll clean you up. I'm going to do a work with you. I'm going to do a great thing in your life. That's what God does. He takes broken people, ministers to us, pours into us, transforms us from the inside out, and then says, now, would you go back out and tell other people how good I am? Would you be open to sharing that message with other people that need to hear it? It's a message of grace. It's a powerful message. And all this, Paul is saying, man, y'all going to miss this. The Corinthians not accepting or not believing in the resurrection because it's part of the message. So let's keep moving now. Verse 11, it says, um, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and you believed. And um, real quick, Paul's just not really trying to take credit. Paul said, look, I, whether it was I or it was them, whoever it was, we preached, y'all believed. That's what happened. Paul wasn't the minister and said, I was the one who led y'all to the Lord. Remember when I came and I preached and you raised your hands, y'all received the Lord? That was when I came, remember? Paul said, look, I, that's not the issue. It was me, it was them. The issue is, the big deal is y'all believe at once upon a time. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So they said, look, if the message that you believed in the very beginning was that Christ came, died, was buried and rose from the grave. How is it that now some of y'all are not believing this? What happened? Um, how is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? And now Paul begins to argue his points, kind of like a lawyer. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen, right? If there's no resurrection, Christ is still in the grave. Well, we know he's not. Verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So if Christ isn't raised from the grave, our preaching is air, it's empty, it's worthless, and so is your faith. Your faith is in something that didn't actually happen. My preaching is empty if he didn't rise, so is your faith empty if he didn't rise from the dead of Christ is not risen. Um, then verse 15, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. And again, each one of these, look, if the dead didn't rise, you know, we're lying. Y'all believing in a false thing. Um, our testimony is not true. We're actually false witnesses. We're lying on the Lord. Verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So your faith is futile. That means in vain or for nothing. And you're still in your sins. And Paul said, this is all the result. Of, if there is no resurrection, that's why the resurrection is a critical part of the gospel. You cannot be saved and not believe that the whole gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. That's all part of the gospel. And so someone that would say, well, you have a hard time believing that somebody rose from the grave. You need to check that out. You need to pray about that. That's a part of the gospel. That's what he did. That's how come believers don't fear death. 
right? Because he has power over death. He demonstrated he rose and so will we. Death didn't hold him, neither will it hold you. So the believer didn't have to be terrified of death. Death is how we transition from this phase to the next phase of life. First Corinthians touches on how the city of Corinth was rampant with idolatry and immorality, not too different from cities of today. Does this mean that you run away and isolate yourself from the sinful world? No, but Paul's letter did communicate that as a Christian, it's important to live a life that's upright and pure before God, even in the midst of a dark and sinful world. When the pressure is great, your opportunity to contrast the dark with light can be even greater. How does one do this with all the influences pressing in? Keep looking to the Word of God for direction in all things. If you're seeking some assistance with where to read, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians. Before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to joining Pastor Bill again next time right here on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word